0: I have a friend who's a brilliant home chef. He's not a cook, he's a chef, an artist, a maestro, at combining ingredients with temperatures. After a meal in which every single tiny thing was perfect, from the type of salt used to where the fish came from, I asked him how did he make it look so easy. Huh. you can only say that because you weren't around to see all my hard work and failures, he said. My failures keep the cats well fed in this village. I see a great similarity between Costas's small kitchen and the world of beer brewing, where your hard work and failures helps to define and shape your brewing success and future. As today's guest says, you need to be focused and not be afraid to have faith in what you're doing. Hi, this is Vela Mitrovich, and you're listening to Revy Media's The Brewers Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking to, I'll let you guess, but here are the hints, although At an early age, he knew he wanted to become a brewer. He foolishly put the dream on hold to pursue such things as a teenage football player in Wales and a lead singer in a successful rock band. Still, as a young lad of 18, he went to pubs with his dad in the black country and after some time developed a taste for cast beer. As he toured across the US, he discovered craft beer and barbecue, a most perfect duo. Finally, at age 30, he came to his senses and opened a small brew pub in London called Duke's Brew & Queue. How small was it? He started home brewing in Duke's with a four-barrel kit. Now, seven years and three expansions later, work should begin this year on a mind-blowing 500,000 hectoliter brewery that will open next year. Logan Plant, founder of Beavertown, welcome to the Brewer's Journal podcast.
1: Wow, what an introduction, <laughs> I say. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and, and thanks for coming to the brewery and sitting here in our taproom in Tottenham Hale. Nice to meet you.
0: Thank you. Look, we've all heard the announcement of Beavertown bringing on an outside partner. I want to talk with you about that journey to that point a little later, but first, I want to get a sense as to what it's like to have that level of financial support and be planning a new brew house. You must've been like a kid in a candy shop.
1: Yeah, the dream has been to create something otherworldly and we now call it Beaver World. Um, And for us, it was a a combination of a a few years of work, of planning, of understanding where we were gonna go next. Uh, So to raise the capital uh, and to maintain the vision and the direction of what we wanna do um, and to build something, as I say, that is unique, uh, not only to Britain and and the brewing industry within Britain, but I feel you know my dream has been to create something that changes, uh, and and builds upon uh, the inspirations that I've taken from around the world. So Beaverworld is um, <clears throat> is going to be that special thing for us uh, at Team Beaver, and it's uh, it's special. So yeah, some of the, the details around the site, um, it's going to be it's going to be up in uh, Enfield. Uh, it's on a six-acre site, a site that we worked around two years in the making uh, to get, to get hold of. Uh, the internal space, it's a big, big warehouse, basically, huge warehouse, 14 meters high, and it's about 130,000 square feet internally. Um, of that 130,000 square feet, about 12,000 internally is going to be for visitors experience. That is something we've always tried to, uh, to, to really build on at Beaver Town is building that experience for the drinker. So as, as you may know, people who have come down to the tap room here on Saturdays in Tottenham. It's a fully immersive experience. So I want people to feel like they're sitting, standing in the brewery, drinking a beer with us, with the brewers, as much in Tottenham as they're going to be doing up in Enfield. So the kind of flow of the people, how they would come in, how they interact with the space, how they go up, the food that they eat, um, the environment that they sit within, and, the, and then the vistas that they can see within the space is all about creating that experience for the drinker. Uh, there's going to be a great balcony overlooking the river. Uh, it's right on the River Lee, which, which ironically, the, the, the Tottenham space we're sitting in now is also on that same river. So we'd love to get a bit of a beaver booze cruise going between the two. That's the dream one day. Um, yeah, you got the balcony overlooking the river that overlooks the reservoir. Um, And then you've got another kind of five or 6,000 square feet externally on the riverbank. So again, in summer, springtime, um, it's all about activating that space, having big gigs, events, parties, markets, um, working with the local community is going to be great. Um, And then, yeah, from a brew perspective, um, again, from the finance that we've that we raised, it's about investing in the best. Uh, So working with the likes of Crohn's, Brew um, Brewhouse, uh, I believe that's one of the best in the world. Uh, it's a 150 hectolitre brewhouse that can brew 12 times a day, um, which will get us up to about 500,000 hectolitre capacity, which is beyond uh, beyond my dreams of a humble home brewer seven years ago, to think that we could then have that capacity on site. Uh, but then looking at the canning line that we're bringing in from KHS, I believe is, is also one of the best in the business. Um, so really, yeah, what we're trying to invest in is, is the quality aspect of what we do. And that's always been the case from day one in Dukes when I bought my first uh, pH meter or hydrometer to the fact that now we're now dropping quite a substantial amount of money and investing um, in what we believe is, is going to be the best uh, of the best.
0: In San Diego, you have Stones Brewery, which uh, is now the third largest tourist attraction in San Diego, which happens to have one or two tourist attractions going for it and for it to be number three i mean that's, that's pretty amazing because it's, it's just basically a brewery yeah i mean do you see yourself becoming something like that in in this area in london
1: yeah to me that is that is the dream you know i feel that what we created in tottenham along with a lot of other producers that have popped up around here and obviously our friends pressure drop over the way and and a lot of the other breweries that have popped up and not only that but you know there's some great bakers and and uh, charcuterie guys around. And I think what we'd like to do for Enfield is exactly the same, is to kind of make a mark there and hopefully create a community. Um, Obviously Camden Town Brewery are up there. They're about 500 meters away from where we're at. So hopefully there'll be a good draw. There's a cracking footpath going up the canal. There's obviously boats, bicycles. There's a train that goes up there from Tottenham Hale that takes about six minutes. So really we feel like we're just an extension of of where we are now in, in Tottenham Hale.
0: Were you inspired at all by Willy Wonka?
1: Yes. <laughs> inspired very much by the likes of Willy Wonka. Again, you know, you look at what we do at Beaver Town and the personality we try and portray through through Nick Dwyer, our creative director. You know, it is about that. It's about bringing people in, stimulating them, leaving them with a memory. Because I believe if they go away with a memory and we're part of it, then hopefully that means, you know, that's a good thing as a drinker. You know, hopefully they'll veer back to us as a beer which is which is great but yeah you and then you look at places like stone or new belgium or, or crikey um malt disney as i like to call it a sierra nevada's place over in Asheville. massive inspirations for what we want to do uh at the brewery up in uh at beaver world
0: i, I gotta admit when i first heard about beaver world i was envisioning little paddle wheeler boats there would be on a on a river of beer you just dip your mug into the uh, into the river bed.
1: well we definitely want to put like some sort of you know a, the one thing i've asked for particularly that we that i want to try and get in there is a slide <laughs> whether or not that's going to go into one of the fermenters i'm not sure yet mm-hmm. but
0: there will be some form of slideage in the brewery i thought did enter my mind too. i guess back to serious questions um well, having backing from Heineken, help with Beavertown's distribution, will you be utilizing their existing network both nationally and internationally?
1: So the decision as we went through speaking to, to possible different partners, um, of course, you know, you look at how, you look at your journey and how it's changed and for myself going from Duke, from homebrewer to Jukes to Hackney Wick to now Tottenham, uh, the world has become a small place and craft beer has become a worldly thing. Um, And to me, uh, the opportunity that we've given ourselves uh, as Beaver Town, as this as this wonderful brewery and brand is let's try and work with the best. You know, let's work with the best that are going to support us, give us our space, allow us to crack on with our goals. Um, And somebody like Heineken, of course, they come with so many resources and expertise. Um, And one of those is, you know, is a great distribution system. Uh, not only in the UK, their route to market is second to none. Um, the quality that they give in the market through Inserve and their their um, their seller service that they offer, um, but also yeah, you know across the globe they're the the I think they are the most uh, I don't know they're 162 countries across the so again there's there's opportunities there further down the road if we choose to. But as I said before, it's great to have the option if it's there. If we need to, then possibly we can explore these avenues.
0: What's this extra brewing capacity? Do you see an increase in your core range?
1: In volume, absolutely. Um, Gamma Ray, Neck Oil, Lupiloid are gonna be the heroes uh, forever and a day. This, these are the beers that built the house, particularly Neck and Gamma. Um, but then expanding the core range, new beers, absolutely. You know We're, we're trialing a, a lager at the moment, a kind of hoppy Pilsner, if you like, uh, which is one of my most favorite, undeniable styles of beer um called Bevo uh which was which we're currently um serving in about 30 bars I guess so keeping it keeping it tight keeping it small learning from you know the customers um and making uh, making the experience better again and yeah maybe there'll be a few other um uh additions along the way you know I see I see there's great things that we've never done you know like a low ABV beer for example I, i Uh, as I've got older I've appreciated that um, hangovers have got worse so uh, I try not to drink in the week too much so if I can find a great low ABV or a zero beer you know Mikkel is brewing some great stuff in that genre Um, for example I love to just sit on that and and get to a Friday night and then crack into the uh, to the neck or the gamma so yeah the range will expand, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying about the low alcohol <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and hang- yeah, the curse of getting getting a bit older. At five hundred thousand hectoliters, will that have satisfied your ambitions for Beaver Town, or is it just another rung up the ladder?
1: Um, yeah, no, I think this is it. You know, I mean, five hundred thousand <laughs> hectoliters is pretty cool. Uh, it's a large amount of beer. It is quite intimidating. Uh, when you start to put it into the number of Olympic swimming pools it can fill up, or the amount of cans over a year, or the amount of pints—I think it's—I don't know—88 million pints a year. So, again, you know, to try and visualise something like that is um, is daunting. But the excitement of of trying to make inroads into that into that volume uh, and where we can take our beer—and you know, my saying over the last three or four years to the team and anybody outside who will listen to me is, you know, our mission over the last four years of being here in Tottenham is about getting great beer on every street corner and working with the best people that we can. And also if those people, uh, you know, perhaps they're, they're they they have not come on the journey yet. Let's bring them on the journey, you know, and let's take the UK and the rest of the world and, and elevate its, uh, its beer experience. So to have a, a capacity of 500,000 hectolitres, uh I believe the way that the market is going, particularly in the UK, if you think we're four, five, six percent penetration of craft beer into the main beer market here, and then you look at the US and if that's at fourteen or fifteen percent, we've still all all brewers, all two thousand two hundred of us at this point, have still got a long way to go, I believe. So yeah. More beer the merrier, I think.
0: The seven year journey you've been on with Beavertown to get to this point. Is one that many of our listeners are keen to replicate. Can you tell us about the early days of brewing in Dukes and your move to a proper brew site? And most importantly, what would you have done differently if you only knew then what you know now? Ooh,
1: well, that's a that is a question, isn't it? Um, oh, you know, I think the main thing uh, that I would suggest to anybody. Starting a brewery nowadays is to do it with absolute <laughs> conviction, belief, uh, and always be determined in your personality and how you could possibly differentiate yourself against the other 2,200 brewers, which is easier said <laughs> now that I'm saying it, easier said than done. I think when we started seven years ago, um, I think we were number 22 brewery in London and now there's over 110 maybe. Um, So maybe the field felt a little bit like you could apply, uh, you could be, you could differentiate a little bit easier maybe because there weren't so many breweries around. Maybe the craft beer movement, the snowball hadn't quite got so big. Um, But I feel like if you've got a personality, don't think that you have to conform and think, you know, I have to shit to sell beer, I've got to brew... Uh, a Gamma Ray or I've got a brew a Jaipur or, or a Punk you know um, I think being innovative and forward thinking and um, dare I say you know think outside of the box look outside and come back in and how you can impart yourself and and your inner personality as I say because that's really what Beaver Town is for me um, it's an expression of of what I love uh, which is why it's it's such a tender dear thing to me and I've lucky enough to have brought people in like Nick Dwyer, for example, or to have worked with them. come across Nick as fate would have it, to work with somebody that's made my vision, he has the same vision as me. So to apply, you know, to bring Nick into the fold and for him to, uh, to create around a shared vision uh, is amazing. So I think also on that note, if you can, at any point, it's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done Uh, starting a brewery, especially if you start from scratch, which we did, i.e. minimal investment. Um, The total budget I had for Dukes and Beavertown to begin with was, um, I think it was about £300,000, and that was to buy the brewery, the fermenters, the smokers in the kitchen, the kitchen stuff, everything, the bar, everything. Uh, It was a real tight, but if you can, at some point, afford to bring in people... (laughs) People that share your drive and your determination and they want to make a difference, but also they have a skill set. And I know that's easier said than done. Again, uh, but I think if if you have such a strong vision, people will believe in that and they will join your journey because they feel like they can make a positive difference. So there's been a number of people along the way. James Rylance, I will say, um, was a huge factor in our journey. James was the first guy I hired as a as, a, as a, a brewer's assistant. So he used to brew with me and Jukes in the kitchen. And uh, and James came in with this verve of like, you know, ingredients and craziness and doing this kind of recipe and that recipe and he really pushed me. I had visions of where I thought I wanna be as a brewer, but then working with James really pushed me somewhere else. And you look at James's career now, he's gone on and he's, he's, he's created great things, not only at Red Church, but now he's down at Harbor and he's working on their kind of barrel program, their sour program down there. Um, and other people along the way that you that you bring in and, and make a difference you know recently what was it maybe two three years ago I, I managed the company was at a point where you know we really needed to work on our finances for example which as a company is pretty important because if you don't get those right uh, sadly um, generally it doesn't it doesn't work so to bring in Adam uh, Gregory who was uh, who is our finance director for example a major move he, he came from a very on a commercial background of five guys. Uh, he rolled out 50 uh, of their first restaurants in the UK. Uh, and his, so his commercial slant on what to do, how to do it, when to do it, contracts, negotiation, um, has been really, really important you know, to our journey. So I think not only investing all your energy and all your love and your passion, uh, and investing in the best quality equipment that you can do and your procedures and your process, to achieve the best beer, but then also, if you can, work on those people because the people are everything, I believe, in your journey. Um, so yeah, a couple of little nuggets <laughs> there. <laughs> Take from it what you will.
0: Just a- sort of a long question. I was, uh, I was talking to a couple brewers up north, small brewery, yeah. I think they had three people, and I asked them, I said, where are your beers you have? And they just ran over this quick list, and I really got a feeling that they went to Tesco's and they looked at the beer yeah and I thought okay they're selling lager check we'll do a lager uh, they're doing stout okay we'll do a stout and the whole time when they were talking about the beer it was never like oh god we, we came up with this beer it's gonna really knock your socks off it was just this really boxes yeah mm. and I was listening to Nick talk and Nick said something to paraphrase him he said it at, um, at Beaver Town he said, we never set out to make everybody in the world a Beavertown beer drinker. He said, in a way, it would be nice if they were, but he said, that's never been our plan. He said, if you like what we do, great. If you don't, that's great, too, because there's other beer out there for you. Yeah. you know, and he just kept saying that. This is our dream. This is our vision. If you want to join us, great. If you don't, that's fine, too. Do you think sometimes with the, the people starting out, they are just too cautious, too conservative, and they've kind of lost... You know, that initial little vision that they had inside them, why they went to become a brewer. You know, well, I think that probably epitomizes me in the
1: beginning. As I say, you know, I I, actually, I think where we started um, was based on my home brews. And there was Smog Rocket, which is a smoked porter, and and 8-Ball, which is a rye IPA. And at that time, there weren't many rye IPAs in the UK seven years ago. And not many people were doing a smoked porter. And I think... Uh, it took balls not to go okay well we 're going to do a pale ale first and we 're going to do an IPA uh, and maybe we 'll do a stout because that kind of that, those are three big things that people like to drink um, but we had this concept and this notion of making a difference with food and pairing with food and what would be best um, and I think maybe the fact that we were in such my initial dream was really just to to supply jukes so I think maybe that gave us the freedom mm. to go actually bollocks you know we can just we don't have to, um, you know, align ourselves with the obvious. Maybe we can do the uh, the bizarre, you know, <laughs> and get away with it yeah. and serve it in our little bar uh, and take people on a journey when they step through the door. So I understand that there is probably a pressure, and that's what I mean, you know. It, it's it, Again, it's easier said than done to, to think that maybe you'll start off with a, you know, I don't know, a Yuzu-infused Berliner Weiss as your core range hero beer. Um so, yeah, I understand it it is tricky. It is tricky. Um, but you look at some of the great breweries out there now and the variety I think that is coming through. You know, a lot of breweries nowadays, they don't have a core range, do they? It's it's about seasonality, for example, or it's or it's a, a kind of particular yeast-driven IPA. Uh, you know, and there's and they fluctuate every brew's different, which I love. So, I think I think what has happened is the market has moved And it gives you that freedom and flexibility to express yourself. So I wouldn't, I'd say again, you know, if we're just harking back to the original question is, yeah, don't don't feel that there's boundaries, break the boundaries, look beyond the the vista and, you know, open the next door (laughs) to something else.
0: I think with any small company, you always get a feeling that if I work one more weekend, if I do just, you know, if I stay up just one more night, I'll, you know, we'll finally be caught up. And in the meantime, you know, talk to brewers, talk to anybody, and you know, you see the divorce rate, you see mental illness, and you see everything else. You seem like you've stayed pretty sane. <laughs> well, I think some people probably disagree with you there. But. I mean, so how, how have you been able to do that? How Have you been? I mean, you're you're still married, correct?
1: I've got an amazing wife, Bridget. Uh, Bridget Plant is uh, is. Is, um, is everything. Uh, I've got amazing kids who who are the backbone of everything. And I think that is important. Um, I was in two bands before opening the brewery. And as a musician, it's not too dissimilar. Um, being a musician is very self-prophesizing, I feel. Um, it, you have to give everything to be a musician because you are solely wrapped in your art, if you like. And I, I get I guess it's the same with any art form. And I classify brewing within that, actually. But I think being a musician for eight years taught me some lessons. And again, it taught me how far I could push myself mentally, probably. Um, and also how far I could push Bridget and, and push the family unit. So yeah, I've definitely got a few more gray hairs and I've had many sleepless nights and I've suffered with anxiety. But I've, you know, I feel like I've held it together but it's been touch and go at times. it really has, and it's not something I ever really talk about, but the stresses you know that thousands and millions of us go through through starting a, a small business um you know, and wanting to do the right thing along the way, but also wanting to do the most amazing thing and I say right thing as in you know you want to build a team you want to you want it to have the best culture and you want to push forward and conquer the world um and I found after the first four years, actually, of Beaver Town, I was away more than I was as a singer, as a front man in a band. Uh, but when, when I was a, when I was that singer, I wasn't drinking because I was so neurotic about my voice. But being a brewer, obviously, most of the time you're away, you're talking. You're doing meet the brewers, tap, tap takeovers, tasting sessions. Uh, you're on the road. You are on the road. You're flying here and there and everywhere. I think the one year, I don't know, maybe I flew... I was away 150 days of the year, 200 days of the year. I don't know, and it was too much. And I, I started to look back, you know, four years in, going, bloody hell, this isn't what I wanted, you know. And actually, we've got this, all this amazing stuff going on back in London. Why am I on the road? There's, you know, um, so I had to dial it back in, uh, and that was a big moment, you know. And it it came to the point where, um, yeah, it's it's a kind of uh, crossroads. I would say, <laughs> in your life and in 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 your mind state, and in your heart. Um, and it was the right decision to to pull back from being Mr. Beaver and being out there, which I adore. I'm still that front man. You know, I'm on the stage, I'm singing to the crowd, but I'm singing from the different hymn sheet now. It's all about <laughs> it's all about Gamma Ray and Nickel yeah. or or some Tempest beers. So no, I think it's you have to be very conscious of your surroundings, your people, and your um your kind of strength community around you um and i'm very lucky to have a strong family uh, around me as well so
0: i mean it's a, it's a tough road for any small business and it doesn't matter what you do and even i mean i was in the coast guard for 20 years and my final crew all of us were divorced by the end of it Correct, you yeah. always thought just one more weekend yeah I'll, you'll catch up
1: and that's it you got to remember that yeah you can keep saying that right but you got to you got to pull it, pull the plug at some point. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> S- swinging, swinging back to beer. Yeah. Um, you're in the States quite a bit, correct? Virtua?
1: Yeah, yeah, I have.
0: But as I said, I'm trying not to be <laughs> too much. How much do you think U.S. beer has influenced you?
1: Massive, huge, ginormously. Um, from the first time I, I was in that, that band, uh, and I was in Brooklyn, as the story goes, and uh, I was in... Um, Williamsburg, playing a gig in the knitting factory. And opposite, there was this place called Fete Sau Barbecue Joint. Amazing barbecue. I'd never eaten a proper, you know, American barbecue before, for example. Walked in there and there was most amazing beers flowing out the wall. The most amazing aromas coming from the smokers. And that was the first real, like, home run, if you like, where it really slapped me around the face and made me go, shit, this is my dream. This is it. Like, this is, this is, this is... I had this dream back at the age of 18 or 19 with Bridget about starting this brewery. Um, So I was obsessed with bathams and and the beers of the black country. And uh, and Bridget and I had this dream of, you know, opening uh, (laughs) this brewery. Basically, my mom and dad, they bought an old farm on the west coast of Wales in 1971. Uh, It's in the middle of nowhere. It's surrounded by sheep. And that was the place where Bridget and I were going to start this brewery. Um, but then we figured out like, shit, if we do, who, who's going to drink the beer? There's only sheep. Uh, there's a few shepherds. And <laughs> sheep I like don't beer. know, like there's there's a few fishermen down in the village. So we kind of put that on the back burner. And, and anyway, yeah, eventually going to America, having this experience in Fete Sal, and then suddenly going, yep, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And then just fate kind of takes over. Destiny walks in the room and... I get an invitation to go to the craft brewers conference in 2000 and uh, I think it was 2013 uh, by Simpsons Malt, who are uh, maltster and Peter Simpson, God rest his soul. He invited me out there. Peter was a dear friend and he said, I'll tell you what, why don't you bring your beers Logan? You Come and serve them at the British Embassy in Washington DC. I was like, "Fuck, what, I've only been brewing a year? Um, so I took the opportunity and we flew the beers out there. We took Black Betty, which is our black IPA. It was super fresh. It was banging. Uh, and I took, uh, the first version of, um, of heavy water, which is big imperial stout. And I started serving my beers to these American guys. But all the American guys, as I came to know, were my, and soon became my heroes. There was David Walker. He walked in the room. There was some guys from Surly, um, there was a guy from Lagunitas. there were all these people suddenly coming up and trying my beers and 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 the beers would blow in their minds you know they were like man i thought you were from the uk i was like i am this is what we brew in the uk nowadays <laughs> get with it so there started friendships i would say back in 2013 with these these american um you know um friends i can call them now um and 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 then the journey started where every year i would go out there um, I'd go to CBC to the Craft Brewers Conference, wherever that was at. Uh, we were invited to quite a few festivals out there. And, uh, and I would take the family, I would take Bridget and the kids and we'd do three weeks on a road trip and we'd fly to Denver and we'd go around and we'd pop around all the breweries in Denver and, and Boulder and places like that in Colorado. And then we'd fly to Phoenix and we'd hang out. Uh, with Arizona Wilderness and we do some crazy stuff. And then we fly into into San Francisco and we catch all the breweries around the Bay Area and then we go into Oregon to Bend and eventually we work our way up to Portland and moments like that, you know, you just, I'm a magpie. I think that's that's how it's influenced me. I've taken all these little sound bites. I'm a geek at heart, you know, and whether it's a, something I'm taking on the palate or whether it's a brand thing or it's a marketing thing or you learn about... I don't know, somebody's technique of dry hopping or, you know, whatever it might be. I've tried to take as much from my experiences as possible. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and then you just try and apply it into your own dream and your own vision that is Beaver Town. So huge US brewing, yeah, community is amazing. It continues to be amazing. I've got so many friends out there that I can really call friends. Um, and, uh, and I feel very honoured you know, to have to, to to have become part of this community. So now it's massive, massive. And I'm going out there again in um, to Denver, actually, to the next CBC. Um, and I'm going out there to see some more breweries, to see what we can possibly do for Beaver World. You know, is there any more inspirations we can take from Avery or Odell's or New Belgium, places like that? Um, are there good tap rooms, you know, in the city that we can look at? And how are they doing things? Is there new glassware? Is there a new way of, I don't know, activating in the bar? I think you've always got to keep on the front foot, be inspired, be open to being inspired. Otherwise, you'll just stagnate.
0: So Logan, coming into the announcement some six months ago that you're bringing an outside partner to take the brewery on the next leg of its journey. Honeykin's acquisition of a minority stake in the business got the expected reactions from some of your peers and craft beer fans the relationship between big beer and craft breweries has always been a sensitive one with some strong opinions out there. Can you tell us about your journey to that point?
1: Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, if you look at the the, the point of when we had a dream of building Beaver World, um, that was probably, that started in my mind, probably two and a half years ago when we were obviously we're in tottenham we're expanding aggressively we're putting all the money that we can uh, back into the stainless steel but then suddenly we realize that we're running out of space <laughs> in the building as you can see behind you it's not really much more space for any more tanks for people to safely walk around the brewery um we can't go outside that wasn't allowed um the uh the guys here on site uh, believed it was uh, it, it wouldn't be a, a nice thing for the site to have tanks outside so we were really limited on what we could do here but bearing in mind the 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 role of this industry of the beer industry at large and of craft beer within it and as I said before with it being five or six percent of market at the moment that's only going to grow and I didn't want to stand still I didn't want my people to stand still and I believed that we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, as I've, I've said in a couple of the pieces that I've written. Uh, there is going to be no other moment in time where we, as Beaver Town, but also as an industry, can make such a difference. And I believe we have, as, a, as brewers, made a difference to this industry. And why, why would I, in my right mind sit still and as I mentioned before stagnate and just be content I'm not that kind of guy um I'm the guy that is driven by by making a difference every day in what we do how we do it and who we do it with and I believe um yeah the aspirations of what that what that would be two and a half years ago looked like it could have cost us about 10 million quid (laughs) um and that would have been probably reasonable to to raise through perhaps a bank and to asset finance and to perhaps we could have put some of um, the brewery's money into there to to try and achieve. Uh, but then we realised that actually, ten million quid a couple of years ago um, would have got you something you know something amazing. But then again, our position in the in the world of beer, I thought, hang on, we need to go, we need to go bigger than this. We need to invest in better. Um, so then it became 15 and and then 20 and 25, and lo and behold, before you know it, <laughs> there's a 40 million hole in the floor. Um, and I just thought, how can we do this? What are the uh, what are our objectives and what are the red lines we'll draw around achieving this investment raise? And it was very clear to Bridget and I, Bridget's 50% of the company. Um that we would obviously maintain maintain control. Um, Maintain control, work with a partner that would allow us to crack on. Don't get involved, be arm's length, you know, there if needed. Um, And then for us, what do we get out of the partner? Um, Resource, everything I've said before, expertise, route to market, Um, how can they help us be, fulfill this dream? this once in a lifetime opportunity. How can we fulfill this prophecy, as, as I say, um, of getting great beer onto every street corner? And then you start to look at your options. Um, and at this point, this was, this was our process. It was the 40 million pounds that we needed to, to raise to build Beaver World. So we, we went to specific groups um, who we believed could offer um, positivity to this journey. Uh, And there were about seven or eight, I think, that we spoke to in the end, Bridget and myself. And it took about eight or nine months of conversations, understandings, red lines, limits, limitations, opportunities, uh, dreams. And yeah, we got to uh, a partner in Heineken that ticked all the boxes that we wanted. You know, the, the red lines we were very, very clear about and they were very very willing to let us get on with it they do not want to get involved in anything that we're doing they want to help us if if they can help us so with their with their as i say their resource their their route to market their expertise it's there if we need to plug in and they're very considerate about that there's no pressure um of course they you know they have aspirations um you know for us to be the best you know and and what bridget and i took from from a family like Heineken was, was, was exactly that, you know, I classify Bridget and I as a, it's a family company. Could we work with a like-minded family company? And I believe Heineken are, are that way inclined. I've met, um, a few of the family and I, I think they're, they're great individuals. They're really good people at heart and they're very considered and concerned about their brewery's journey and how it's perceived and the quality of what they do and how they do it across the world. Um, so I feel, um, yeah, from, from a kind of a, a journey perspective, it was the biggest thing, you know, we're probably ever going to do in our life, but what it will afford us is to build the dream uh, and fulfil that prophecy. Not only is this movement a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but also to, for Beaver Town to have got to this, this point where it can raise that amount of capital, stay in control. I'm still at the helm. Mr. Beaver and the blood that flows through me is... Is gamma ray blue and lupuloid pink. In fact, that would be something pretty cool to put somewhere in the brewery. But I, you know, that's it. Then to 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 be able to control that. But also to have people there that you can ask questions of. Which, you know, again, back to investing in people. I've tried my hardest and damnedest to bring in the best people. Now we've now I feel what our partner offers us is. Is a never-ending, ending, open book, if you like, the manual of, you know, how do we, how do we build a great brewery? How do we take great beer out there? How do we look after our beer to the optimal on the, on the, on the tap, in the cellar, on the road? You know, how do we make the best craft beer possible and get it out to the people? Uh, you know, as best we can. So, no, it is. It's a great position to be in.
0: Logan, thank you very much. This has been Velo Mitrovich, and you've been listening to the Brewer's Journal podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Logan Plant and the team at Beavertown. On 14th March, we'll be hosting the Brewer's Lecture at Birmingham. Then we'll be in Glasgow in May, Nottingham in June, and Bristol in October. You can go to www.brewersjournal.info. Thanks a lot for being with us today.